You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ionel, and today's guest I'm super excited about because she is in high demand. Everyone and their mother has been asking about this topic, about resume writing and just like pivoting careers, so I'm super excited that she's on today. With nine years of resume writing experience, if there's anything Kaylin knows to be true about career pathways is that they are never linear. After graduating at the start of the pandemic, she took the leap and launched AOK Resumes and Career Coaching and quit her full-time job in education. Kaylin compiled everything she learned from college career centers and advising students along with her own experience in order to educate individuals on how to break out of career and societal expectations to help clients identify their strengths and professional values, to find jobs and opportunities that are aligned with those strengths and values, and to live their brightest lives personally and professionally. So Kaylin, I am so excited that you're on today to kind of give us all the gold nuggets when it comes to like switching careers, right? Tweaking the resumes, like pivoting when it's needed. So thank you so much. Yes, of course, Gabby. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah. So can you tell your story, get into the nitty gritty a bit? I know that, right, you graduated and then you started this and then you quit. What actually happened, right? What was the reason you quit? What was the reason that you leaned into kind of being this resume writing career coaching expert, if you will? Yeah, definitely. So to take you all the way back to 2012, my first year of college, I was a student office assistant in my campus career center. So free resource for everybody on campus. And I just absorbed all of the information that I could because I figured I will graduate one day. This will be relevant one day. Might as well collect this knowledge while I have it. And pretty much since that point in time, I became the candid resume writer among my friends and family. Fast forward, I went to another university before I finished undergrad. I eventually did my master's at University of Colorado, Denver, working at three different career centers just as a student while pursuing a degree in Spanish and linguistics. But the career was always the consistent background theme. And then once I graduated, I was hired full time in higher education, which I thought would be a safe field, right? I thought education is going to be great. We're going to be impactful. We're going to be helping people. We're going to be working with the students for the students. But at the end of the day, working at a university is no different than working for a corporation. You never actually know who the decision makers are, but you're incredibly impacted by it. You never actually get the money that they say you're going to because, oh, it's a school. It's a tight budget. Meanwhile, there's million-dollar endowments. So a lot of things were just not lining up. And after about a year of working full-time as an academic advisor, I realized that that is not at all what I signed up for. I signed up to help students navigate the nuances of academia, sign up for classes, graduate, give some career advice to help them figure out what to do next. Meanwhile, I was figuring out that's not what I wanted to do next. You know, we were all promised raises that didn't happen with the pandemic. We were working remotely for a year because of the pandemic. And then there was zero flexibility when it came to returning to the office, required to be in the office much sooner than originally communicated. So a lot of lapse in communication too. And I just realized it wasn't worth it anymore. You know, course registration really isn't an emergency situation, but the level of anxiety that was coming with it to log into these meetings, to be on top of all of the calls, to manage the spreadsheets was just overwhelming and unnecessary. And there was not very much hope for restructuring the system and streamlining processes when I was the only one doing it. So at that point, it just seemed like the best thing to do was to leave and to start to rely on myself. So that way, the question of how much money I'm going to make and how much time do I have for myself and work-life balance finally was in my own hands instead of up to somebody else. And from there, it's been really exciting to run AOK Resumes and Career Coaching because I'm helping other people realize that exact same thing and to figure out their own pathways 
as they go forward too. Yeah. And it's so necessary. You know, people are right now with the pandemic, they're thinking about alternative options. But I think even before the pandemic, people were kind of figuring out like, how do I pivot? Right. And I love the thing that you say all the time. You're like, it's all about framing, right? How do I frame my experience, my transferable skills, my life journey, if you will, to better suit a different industry, a different career, or maybe yes, in this case, like entrepreneurship, like it really depends. So I'm glad that someone's doing this because it's needed. Absolutely. It is. And the more that I work with clients too, you know, at first I was helping people really find opportunities that were aligned with what they wanted to do and understanding what potential directions they could pivot in. And a lot of those conversations over the last year have significantly shifted towards how do I leave my current job? Like, I know I need a plan for what to do next, but what's a plan just to get out of here? And I think that what's really important is we put too much pressure on staying in that one position without having something else lined up, which I understand some of the logistics of life don't make that possible to leave without a plan. But half the time, I feel like so much of the stress and the guilt and the detrimental components to mental health are what's really drowning us and keeping us kind of encapsulated in this analysis paralysis of being unable to move forward, but unable to think clearly to make a plan to move forward. By creating an exit strategy, by leaving the job, whatever it may be, has provided a lot of clarity, both for me and the clients that I've worked with so far, to then be able to have the mental energy to come up with the plan for what's next. It's so hard to do it all at once. It's so much to juggle and think through all at once. Yeah, it is. And I don't want to say it's taboo, but it's almost like what I grew up kind of job hopping. Everyone was like, that's so bad. Like switching industries is terrible. You have to stick with what you know. And it was like, well, no, like they just released a report on Forbes of like you actually over time will lose 50% of your potential income by staying at the same job. So it's like, really, who's not winning in this situation? Like, come on, please. Yeah. And I think that's just generational shifts that we're seeing in the job market. Like talking to friends and family, my dad has had four jobs in his entire life. I'm 27 and I've had 33 jobs. You know, people always ask, oh, you've only been at this job for a year. Like, how are you going to explain that on a resume or in an interview? And lucky I'm very well trained in resumes and interviews. And I think the more I've applied to jobs, the more I myself have gotten to know the market from that personal perspective and can just see it doesn't necessarily matter what's on the resume as long as you can explain the skills and activities that you've done and the impact that you've had during that year or six months or however long in a position and explain specifically how those skills are going to apply to what you're applying for, whether it's a new job, a new industry, a new title, whatever it is, it is all about framing. It's just knowing how to communicate what you learned and where it's going to be applicable. I don't think it matters how long you took to learn it. I don't think that it matters. If you've been at a job for one year or three years, you can learn the same amount of things in one year as you can in three years. Why not do it more efficiently? Take that knowledge and run with it and find the next opportunity that's going to pay you more for it, where you can continue learning. Yeah, I agree. Again, there's that shame of leaving. There's the shame of leaving behind, you know, a job that you put so much time into, or even like, again, there's, I don't want to say there's generalizations, but you have certain people like recruiters or certain companies are like, oh, you need X amount of years experience. You're like, hold up. But like, I already know the skill or like, it doesn't take that long. Cause realistically, the thing that I'm finding time after time is that anyone can learn a skill, but it's really the person's character that actually make a difference, whether someone can do a job or not. Cause right. Anyone can learn a skill, but if they don't take initiative, if they don't have the motivation, if they don't have all these things that really take into account when growing within a company or like contributing to a job, whether, or even entrepreneurship, it's going to be the deciding factor if you do it well or not too. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I think that the way that we show up as ourselves in a professional setting is also shifting, I think, in a positive direction. And that gives me a lot of hope that we can 
show up authentically in a professional situation. We can speak to our strengths and skills that we have developed over a short or long amount of time. We can advocate for ourselves and show employers where those skills are going to be applicable and why they need us. But we can also do so in a way that's not putting ourselves into a very like tight-fitting box of what the professional should be, of what is allowed and what is too loud, right? And how to shrink ourselves to fit into that. Because I think the less we shrink ourselves, the more we allow ourselves to take up space, the more opportunities we will find that are genuinely aligned with who we are and what we need out of an opportunity. And that's how we avoid burnout at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm wondering how someone can find that next opportunity that's more aligned to there. Because like, for example, like I'm very loud, not that I would drop F-bombs if I was in a corporate environment, but like I'm very punchy, I'm very loud, and that might not suit well in like the banking industry or one of these industries that are a little more buttoned up. So how can someone find that opportunity that's better aligned with kind of who they are now or kind of where they're headed, you know, at the same time of like recognizing that, like I know something you had mentioned when we first spoke is that There's like some people, they leave a job, but it's the same job, different environment, which is like, okay, like how do we even get out of that cycle too if we're looking to leave? So can you touch on those things? Yeah, absolutely. So one strategy that I use with my clients and that I've used myself throughout my many years of job seeking has been to just make a list of skills. And there's like sub lists within the list, right? Like first make a list of things that you are good at that you actually like. Make a list of things that you're good at, but that you don't like to do. You can drag your feet. You procrastinate. There's some kind of a blockage between you and getting the task done. What is a list of things that you don't like, but you have to do for your job? And then a list of things that you don't like that you know you never want to do. And then as we sift through those lists, you'll start to see more and more of what you like that you're also good at. That will put you in a state of flow. Those are now the key words that you will use when job searching. So you're not going to pay any attention to anything else on the list, anything that you know you don't like, anything that you are good at but don't like. Those are the things that will also lead to burnout. So by focusing on those skills, those talents, those strengths, and using those as the key words, like that has to be encapsulated in the jobs that you're looking at in order for you to apply. It is being a little bit more picky with what you're applying to. And I think that that's okay to do. I think within job searching, we get so scared and it is a very stressful process. Like no doubt it has gotten more complicated over the years. But I think that if we can have a bit more of a focus, a, a bit more tunnel vision is required when job searching instead of just applying to anything under the sun that you could do, because that's how you'll find yourself in an opportunity that you can do, but don't like. And I think that's what happens when people choose to apply to the same jobs over and over again. And sure, they're changing the environment. And sometimes that environmental shift can be key. Sometimes changing management helps you realize, wow, I actually do like my job. This is a great fit. But if you keep changing jobs under the same general title or the same general industry and you're still miserable, you know that it's the job, not just the environment. And that's when you have to start shifting and thinking about the skills that you're actually putting into action every day at that job. What conversations do you have at work? What do you get excited about at work? There should be something, I would hope, because the more you're excited, the less, in theory, the less depressed that you would be in that role the less soul-crushing it would feel, the more you'd be able to bring yourself to life, the more comfortable and confident you would feel too. And the more that would be accepted, you know, the more you can show up as authentically as you are, do what you go there to do, the more respect you'll gain from your colleagues and the more space you'll have to just be yourself. And it's a very positive feedback cycle. Meanwhile, if you're making yourself smaller to fit into this environment, you're going to be uncomfortable in that environment since day one, even if you kind of like the job. So there's a lot of different pieces that 
all together make up an ideal workplace, but it all comes down to just identifying those strengths, those skills, but also those values. What's important to you about working at a company? Does the company need to embody sustainability and working with diverse populations, or does the company not care about those things? And I think, especially with this generational shift that we're seeing, as millennials and Gen Z continue to grow and become the real key players in today's job market, I think that those core values are becoming more and more prevalent and important and salient as we are job searching. And they should be. So knowing your values and making sure that you're in a company that aligns with those values is so important. And as a personal example, I was once applying for positions to be a translator or an interpreter. Since I'm bilingual, I speak Spanish. I thought, great use of my language skills. And the company I was applying for, I did a quick Google search. Sometimes that's all it takes to see if it's worth applying there or not. And the company was hidden under the umbrella of ICE. I would have been a translator to help tear families apart at the border. That would have been my job. As somebody who studied Spanish and connected with Latin American cultures for 13, 14 years, that is the exact opposite of anything that I would want to do. That is not helping. But the way that they wrote it in the job posting, like you would not have seen that unless you took the extra step to research. So that's a great example of where you really need to know what your values are. And if the company doesn't align with it, it's not worth your time because you are not going to change who you are at your core at the end of the day for a company. And you shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty fucked up that that even, you know, like doing <laughs> right? a Google search kind of led you down that route. But like, I've done the same thing where like you go through LinkedIn and you're like, wow, this sounds like an amazing opportunity. And then you go on like Glassdoor or one of these resources and you're like, this company sucks. Like they have terrible reviews. None of the employees are happy. They're not saying what they're doing. Like it's not aligned at all. No go. And, you know, I've even spoken to people on this too. They're like, oh, but this great opportunity with all this money came up. I'm like, yeah, but like, is it really worth it? Like, is it really worth it for you to do something every single day you hate? That's not what we're going for in this next channel of life, if you will. Like we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not no, doing it anymore. We're not. We're not taking the jobs that are detrimental to our mental health. We're not staying in the jobs that are detrimental to our mental health just because we've been there for a while. We are over that. Yeah. But I mean, I think there's a lot of shame, again, like around leaving a job. Some people, they feel like they owe it to their company to stay and put up with the BS or like they feel like they have to, quote unquote, put in their time in order to feel like then they're qualified or then they can charge more or then they have worth. Do you have any suggestions around that for even the people who are like, are even like they're thinking about leaving, but they're like, oh, I'm not even going to do the search yet or like try to do the you know interviews because I just I feel like I can't leave yet. I couldn't do that to the employer or something. Yeah, I definitely understand that. And I felt like that when leaving my last job and a few others along the way too. One strategy that I use, a theme with me, is I would make a list of everything that you do in your job description versus everything you do in addition to your job description. If you're doing that much that's outside of your job description and not getting paid accordingly, that's a sign that your company is taking advantage of you and it's okay to leave. They will always try to get as much work out of you while paying you the least possible. That is how they work. This is a capitalist society. It's all about production and making money. And the company is using you to make money as an employee. That's the basis of the system. And I think that a lot of the times, too, we stay in these roles because of the golden handcuffs, right? Beautiful benefits. You get extra vacation time, which we do want. You get happy hours with your company and pizza parties. And those we want probably a little less. We'd rather just get paid more than have to have those built in. I think that by making that list, it helps you see how much extra you're doing and how maybe how much more time you're spending on your job than what you're actually getting paid for. And if you can't 
increase what you're getting paid. If you can't move to a higher level where you can continue to learn and develop your skills while doing all of this extra work within your company, then there's no reason to stay. There's absolutely no reason to stay. And you don't owe them anything because as soon as you leave, they will post your job and they will find somebody else to fill it. Yep. I've had that experience many times. (laughs) Exactly. And I think too, you know, they say the best time to find a job is when you have one. So if you are currently in this situation where you are in a job that you don't like, you are in a way blessed because you do have a bit of stability to use to solid ground to stand on while you look for the next opportunity. That is a much less stressful and anxiety inducing way to go about it than when you don't have a solid ground to stand on. You don't have a way to pay your bills and you're looking for an opportunity. It's not impossible. In my personal experience, I had a lot more anxiety when I was a student without a job looking for a job than when I was fully employed and looking for another opportunity. So I think that the guilt is also based on the conditioning that you owe your company something. You know, they've done so much for you. Your director has supported you so much, but that is actually their job. It is your director's job to support you. They're doing their job and you have to show up every day and do yours. And as soon as there's a disconnect, there's no reason to stay. There's no reason to stay. And I think that we also, as humans, we have connections and we want to maintain those. But if it's somebody's job to look out for you, it's not your job to be there for them too. That management is a one-way street, essentially. And the companies that frame working together as a family, I think, is crossing a lot of boundaries. It is really blending priorities of what's important and what's not. And it's making work seem like it's a much higher priority than it is compared to the people in your life who do know you and love you and care about you. That's who we owe our time to. That's who we want to spend our time with, not your employer. You don't owe them anything. And if anybody needs a reminder, I am more than happy to facilitate that conversation further. I love how you pointed that out, though, because there is that level of guilt of like, oh, well, if I leave, but then there's also, like you had said, of like, it's their job to provide support. It's their job to guide you. It's their guide to even teach you, right, so you can become a better employee. That's not doing it in addition to the job. That's supposed to come with the fucking job. So like, if they're not already giving them as a bare minimum or they're guilting you into being in that role because of those things, like they've already fucked up. You know what I mean? Exactly. 100%. And it is. It's like, we're supposed to be so grateful for receiving the bare minimum. I don't think that that's appropriate. I don't think that's how we're going to live our brightest lives. I think that's how we stay under these convoluted systems. And I think that's how we continue to not get what we deserve out of this life. Yeah. So, I mean, when someone's at this job, how can they like even start the job search, right? There's one thing of like job searching effectively, right? Working the system, but then there's the other side of it where it's like a lot of people will say to me, well, I don't have any transferable skills, right? I don't know how to make this one job where I'm an analyst to then transfer to this job in like creative or whatever it is or or something, Yeah, definitely. So that, again, comes back to the idea of framing. So if you are looking to make a career shift, transferable skills that most companies will look for, regardless of what the job actually entails, are communication, adaptability, time management, ability to prioritize, organization. Those are all skills that, as humans, become pretty well equipped with, which is nice as well. So that's what you want to highlight as the basis of your resume. Those should be pretty front and center. And then you can talk more about the specific skills that have developed. So if you've worked in finance, maybe you audit 
budgets and compile reports and analyze the data to create future projections. And if you want to take that and put a creative spin on it, you know, you can say that you create the system to analyze those reports. You organize all of the files and data in a way that not only you can understand, but others can understand to communicate that data, to communicate what your findings are. You are using your creative mind to make these systems happen and work for you. And that creative piece is what you will then communicate to your future employer if that's the direction you're looking to move into. So that's a good example of a transferable skill. I mean, organization and prioritization is something that we have to do no matter what job we have. It's also something that we do as students. I think a lot of people discount student activity, but we have been students at this point in time longer than we have been employees. We know how to do our homework. We know how to write down all of our tasks and in an agenda. And we can use those same academic skills to be successful employees and to really communicate that I can abide by deadlines. I can manage multiple projects at once. And those are going to be applicable no matter where you go or what you do. So that's a really helpful strategy to take. Another really helpful strategy, if you're really not sure how to frame your resume or what words to use, is to use keywords from the job posting itself, from the company website. If they are looking for somebody who can multitask in a fast-paced environment, one, ask them about that fast-paced environment in the interview so that you know you won't get burnt out within it. But two, before you get to the interview, list on your actual documents in your resume and cover letter, I am skilled at multitasking in a fast-paced environment. Not only is that going to work the system and trigger the resume or applicant tracking system, RTS or ATS, those are the robots that read your resume before a human ever does. That gives you a higher score when you're going through the robots since you're matching keywords from the job description and the website into your documents, already making you a more high-qualified candidate. So your resume gets placed at the top of the pile for when a human goes through and reviews it, and then you're that much more likely to get an interview. So by highlighting those specific skills in that specific way and by working the system, that robot, using those keywords, you're that much more likely to get an interview. And once you're in the interview, that's in theory where your personality can shine, where you can see not only are you a good fit for the company, but are they a good fit for you? Do their values align with you? You're allowed to ask them questions at the interview too. I think that the attitude behind interviews is shifting in a really positive way as well, where we as employees are interviewing our potential employers just as much as they are interviewing us. And that's how it should be because it should be a mutual agreement to go into business together. Yeah. I love how you said that too, because right, typically in the past, you were like, oh, I'm so grateful to just get the freaking interview. But now it's like, hold up, like, yes, I'm grateful, but also you should be grateful to have me because I clearly have skills, you know, that you need and you want. Exactly. It's a very important shift. And I think that that same shift is applied towards salary negotiation. You know, my first jobs out of college, I was so grateful to be hired because one, nobody told me I would be hired. There was a lot of negativity through higher generations based on what I studied in school and what's going to make me money and what's not. Right? That's such garbage. It is. It is. I mean, I remember my college graduation, the director of the English department said, everyone gives, you know, English majors, anybody who studies arts, humanities, social work, you, everybody says you're not going to make any money, but that's not true because what we have as a skill that might not be learned, I don't know, I never studied engineering, but that might not be as common in a STEM field is communication. It's that ability to communicate our thoughts and feelings and emotions and needs so that they can be met. If we don't speak them, they will never be met. And I think that's a strength that we have coming from a more of a humanities background. Bit of a side tangent, but relevant and related because we're always told we're not going to make money. But that's where we really have to self-advocate. That's where we have to recognize, no, I do have strengths. I do have skills. I do have degrees. 
and I'm worth more. And that's where I use, you mentioned Glassdoor earlier as a resource. That's an excellent salary calculator resource. So I always do salary research of what this title in this area should be making and compare that to what the offer actually is. And then you have basis to say, you know what, this is the average for this area. And I would like to get paid more closer to that national average than what you're currently offering. And that's your angle. So it's a good solid base to stand on to request what you're actually worth. And it never hurts to ask. I mean, the worst they can say is no. And then you get to reevaluate if you want to still take that opportunity or not. But what if they say yes? What if you get paid 10 grand more than they offered just because you had the courage to stand up for yourself? That's more of what I want to see going forward. Yeah, I think we're moving in that direction, though, like you had said. A lot of people are having more courage because right now, especially right now with, like, we're in the pandemic, right? People are quitting by the millions every single month. Like, there is power to the employee to finally stand up for what they're worth and what they should be charged and how they should be treated, honestly, instead of kind of taking scraps and, you know, crumbs, which was the the norm. And companies got away with it because we didn't challenge it for so long, right? Why would we? Exactly. We were just players in the game. But we are now changing the game. And I think that's such an exciting shift. Like, I have hope for the job market for the first time in a long time because of this collective movement. Because enough of us are saying that we're not going to take it anymore. And that is how you drive change. That is how you create a new workplace culture. We've never been at a moment like this in history before. I mean, I mean, maybe sometime in history, but not in the time that I've been alive. This is the most hope I've had for the professional world since I graduated from college in 2016 and long before that. Yeah. And even for my parents say the same thing. They just think it's crazy that we can negotiate things like sign-on bonuses or like extended vacation packages or like all these things that didn't even exist. Whereas back then you kind of had like, you know, if they tell you to jump, you jump. Yeah. Or moving expenses. That's another great thing to negotiate in and things like that. Now that we're talking about like all the things that we could demand and all these things, like, you know, they're still in place with these corporations, like the products that they use to basically vet out people who are unqualified. So what are some resume like green flags, right? What's something that people should add and what are some red flags that maybe will have them not pass through, you know, the robots or whatever it is? Yeah, definitely. So the tracking systems are really basic algorithms essentially that weed out resumes since I like 90% of job applications are online right now. So sometimes there's hundreds, if not thousands of applicants for a job and people don't have time to review it. The average recruiter, when they do actually set eyes on your resume as a human, spends about seven seconds looking at it on the first round of review. So they rely on these systems to conduct that first round of review for them and just sift through them as quickly as possible before a human can get to them. So that being said, some resume green flags, like I mentioned before, are those key words. That is the number one greatest way to increase your score through those resume and applicant tracking systems to get an interview. Integrate the keywords. You have to tailor the resume to each job you're applying to. Long gone are the days of submitting a general resume. If you submit a general resume, if it gets through that system in the first place, by the time the employer actually looks at it, they will be thinking, what is this person doing applying to this job? I don't see relevant experience. This is hard to read through and find the information that I need. And worse, looks like they tailored this resume to a different job, not to this one. You want to, in a sense, I hate saying this, but I'm going to say it. You want to woo your employer. You want to make them feel special. You want to make them feel like you did this resume and cover letter just for them. So that tailoring piece is huge. That's like your first impression and your first way to impress them before you go to an interview. Make them excited to want to interview you. That's how it has to be done. So keywords, number one, green flag. 
Some other green flags that I mentioned within that explanation are organization, making it easy to find the different pieces of information that they're looking for. And the first thing that employers look for when they read through your resume is education and do they meet the minimum qualifications? And oftentimes education is part of their list of minimum qualifications. So what I do to make sure they know I have everything listed. And what I do for my clients is I'll read through the job description, find where they list out their minimum qualifications and their preferred qualifications, and make sure that they are all listed throughout your resume. And if you don't have room for them all in your resume, they've got to be in your cover letter too. So that way you get through the first round of human review as well as the robot review. That's what they're looking for. That's what they want to find. They honestly don't care about the rest. They don't care about your irrelevant experience. People used to list hobbies and on their resume, and nobody cares about that anymore. It's not relevant. People don't have time to read if you like to snowboard and sew. You know, they need to know, can you work with Slack? Have you managed a CRM system before? Microsoft Office, please let us all be well-versed in that enough to not have to list it. But if they ask for it, it's got to be listed. Communication skills, language skills, those are all things that need to be front and center along with education. Don't bury it and don't put it on two pages. If you have a two-page resume, just imagine that they will never read the second page. Because nobody has time for that. Like when I've served on hiring committees, if I get a multi-page resume, it is a big eye roll because I don't have time for it when I'm reviewing resumes. Like I used to look for more than seven seconds at a time. I'd spend a few minutes on each one before passing it through to the next round. But it's exhausting. It is exhausting to read multiple pages of irrelevant information. So that's a red flag. More than one page is a red flag. The only way I would encourage a multi-page resume as if you have more than two degrees or more than 10 years of professional experience. And even then, all of the relevant information should be weighted on the first page in case they don't read the second. However, in terms of red flags that will trip up the system, that will get your resume eliminated before a human ever gets to see it, is format. Resume templates, like Google templates, anything that you make on Canva, anything with predetermined boxes of where to input your information cannot be read by those systems, and they get thrown out immediately. Same thing goes for special characters. If you have images with like a check mark icon on it, or um, the ampersand syndrome as an and instead of just writing out the word and, or any kind of photo or text box or image, those are all going to get immediately eliminated. Nobody will get to the content because the format will have it thrown out in an instant. Other red flags too are color. Because imagine if somebody prints out your resume and it's colorful online, but they print it out in black and white. Now it's just faint and you have a hard time reading everything and it's not crisp and clear. That's essentially how our robot's reading it. And if they can't read it, they throw it out too before it ever gets to the human. There are so many resume red flags. And the top ones are borders, special characters, images or photos, crazy fonts, colors. And then those first, those most important green flags are tailoring the resume and format organization. I love that you mentioned that too, because I think in the past few years, people have been like leaning more towards making this super modern like resume that has like your picture and has all these like, you know, especially if you're creative, like to express kind of who you are in the way of like your resume. But again, like you said, like the system that they're using to kind of pick apart these resumes isn't going to pick up on yours because you put through the extra effort of making it pretty, it's kind of fucking useless. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Exactly. Yeah. It's a waste of time. And it's a shame. The only industry where having a resume that's designed with special colors and shapes and fonts and formats is graphic design. 
because then your resume is showing that like, this is a showcase of my design. It's part of my portfolio. But in literally every other industry, it just doesn't work. And I think what's frustrating too is that people don't know where to start when it comes to writing a resume. So they think, I'm going to get a template. This is going to make it so easy. And then they send out sometimes hundreds of applications using that template and they don't hear back and they get more frustrated because they're not hearing back. And it's it just comes down to the format. It just comes down to the resume at the end of the day. Chances are, if somebody is applying to jobs over and over and over again, and they're not hearing back for an interview, it's because there's something wrong with the resume. Do you find the same things go for smaller businesses? Because I know a lot of people who are listening to the show right now, they're in corporate and either A, they're trying to switch industries to get different knowledge so that they can learn and earn. So maybe in the future, they'll become an entrepreneur. Or another side of it is people want to also learn and earn, but under the guise of like a small business or even someone who owns an online business or they're like an influencer or something like that, would then the resume game change a bit? Or it's still, you would say to use those same resume green flags and red flags and those tips and tricks? That's a really good question. What I would say is, one, that's awesome that more humans will be reviewing resumes again in the sense of small business and entrepreneurship. And I don't think that those entities would employ the resume tracking system. So I think that some of those format pieces would be a little safer. You could get away with more more special characters. I still wouldn't encourage photos because if there's a picture on your resume that's and you don't get chosen for the job, that's an immediate discrimination lawsuit that any company would try to avoid, especially here in the United States. So that's something I would avoid no matter what. But I think that as a small business myself, regardless of the fact that I like to write resumes, that's what I do. If I was to receive a resume from somebody else and it wasn't a template format and it was hard for me to find the information I was looking for, I would be frustrated. And I don't want an employer's first impression of me to be frustration. So I'd say even on a small business level, just make it as easy as possible for them to find the information. I don't think that the graphics are what matter. And the same thing goes for grad school applications because those don't go through as intense of a tracking system that is more reviewed by an application committee, typically. But you still just want the information to be clean and clear and easy to read. That's the number one, no matter if it's going to a human or a robot. Yeah. I'm glad you touched on these different things because, again, a lot of people don't know it. I know some of it because of my own job hopping experience, and I was in HR kind of supporting them a little bit. But, like, it's a game to not only be in the interview process, but it's a game to even get the interview in the first place. So Exactly. I always think of the resume as the ticket to the interview. And you want to make sure you get in. You've got to do whatever it takes. And that includes working the system to your favor. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions for how people can apply for jobs? Because, right, they typically do like the in easy apply button on LinkedIn or maybe they use Indeed or something like that. But do you have any other like workarounds in the system for people who are either in corporate trying to switch industries? You know, maybe it's a new career, new job, or just again, new industry. Or again, that entrepreneur or the person who's entrepreneurial spirited looking to work for an entrepreneur so they can like learn the things behind the scene before making the leap themselves. Like, are there any other things that you can suggest to help get them through the door? Yeah, definitely. So Indeed is a crappy job search engine. It is so oversaturated. There are so much spam experiences on there too. Because you can just hit easy apply, there's, again, thousands of people applying to the same job as you. So you're in a larger pool and you're less likely to hear back, let alone hear back in a timely fashion. I think that out of the major job search engines that we hear of, Indeed is the worst. 
I think that out of those major ones like Monster, ZipRecruiter, that LinkedIn is actually the best. And that's because of the algorithm that they use. So the LinkedIn algorithm, when you're job searching, they will also send you job recommendations, not only based on your past job searches, which is what the other job boards do, but they'll analyze your profile for keywords throughout your past experiences and connect that to job opportunities that also use those keywords. So you're having more relevant and tangible opportunities sent to you that you can apply to, as well as finding more relevant and tangible opportunities as you do your search because of that keyword integration of the algorithm on the back end. So LinkedIn is a great resource for applying to those positions because you can also see if any of your connections currently work there. Do you know somebody who's there? So then you can reach out with a personal message and ask for an informational interview, get more inside information, find out what it's actually like for a day in the life if you want to apply to that job before you spend the time submitting the application. I have mixed feelings about the easy apply button because it does make it so easy. And when you are stressed to the max because of job searching, you want to take the path of least resistance. But what if that's also the path of least results? You know, as much as LinkedIn can be helpful and having an updated profile with those keywords will help you find those tangible opportunities, I still deeply believe that the best way to secure them is to apply with a resume and cover letter. So even if there is an easy apply button, do some additional research, find out who the hiring manager is and see if you can send something physical in or... Check and see if they have a way to apply directly on their website. The company's website will give you so much more specific information. Those applications will be reviewed sometimes before what's easy apply or easy apply on Indeed will do for you. And the company's website's also a great way to look for more opportunities. You know, maybe you found that one opportunity through LinkedIn, but they have three more open positions that you're actually more interested in. So looking at those company-specific job boards can be a great way to also find things that are in a company that you care about, that you know is already aligned with your values, so you can go ahead and apply. You never want to apply to the same job in two different ways, though. The applications will kind of cancel each other out if you apply through the company website and through LinkedIn. So I would only apply through the company website if you were in a situation like that. In terms of getting creative for somebody who's in the corporate realm and wants to really do a career change, change industries, change roles, I think joining professional associations is really helpful because they have their own job board within the professional association. For example, I used to work in the nutrition department at a university, so I helped a lot of students who were studying nutrition, and a lot of those students came to us from finance or media or marketing or a totally different career So they come into nutrition, they have student experience in the field, but now they need professional experience. So they would join the National Association of Dietetics in the United States, and that has its own job board that comes with it. So you can find those industry-specific opportunities. Another thing to do is sometimes there are industry-specific job boards that are public that don't require a membership and don't belong to an association. So what I always use, for example, while working in higher education is higheredjobs.com. So those are all university opportunities, college-level opportunities for faculty, for staff, for advisors, for career coaches and counselors. And that's all found in one place, too. So that makes the process a little bit more streamlined and a little easier to find more relevant, I think, and more tangible opportunities. And if somebody is looking to get more entrepreneurship, you want to find somebody who's doing what you want to be doing and then learn from them. See if you can work with them for an informational interview. See if you can develop a mentorship relationship with them so you can continue to learn from them and ask them for advice. Ask them, you know, what would you recommend for a young individual in the field who's looking to do what you're doing right now? How have things might have changed since you got to what you were doing versus how I'm trying to do it right now? That's going to be a really effective way to bolster your background and make sure that it's applicable to the direction you're going to. 
I love that. Like you had said, right? Sometimes going the back way isn't always the best way, but there are opportunities for people to do that if it makes sense, right? If it makes sense, if maybe they're not going the standard corporate route or even if they are, but I want to switch gears a little bit and get away from like the tangibles, the like rational applying to jobs things, because I think in some sense, what we both have experienced, like there is a little bit of like mindset work that has to go with applying or even switching careers or even like if you want to get woo-woo and talk about manifestation and creating a life by design instead of by default, like can you get into that a little bit? Oh, I can get into that. So I am a deep believer in manifestation. I think that we can put our energy and our intentions out there into the universe and that the universe will deliver. But we have to believe in ourselves and believe in those intentions and believe in those manifestations if we ever want to see them happen. If they're laden with self-doubt, nothing will come into fruition. So I think that in terms of a mindset shift, number one, recognizing your value is huge. And that's very hard to do on our own. I hired a business coach to help me recognize that I do have value in what I do and that I can make a business out of this. So using your resources, finding, again, a mentor can be really helpful in helping you recognize that you are on the brink of blossoming and you have a lot to offer to this world. I also am a big fan of affirmations too. You know, there's so many different songs and sounds going on on TikTok and Instagram right now. There was one, it's like, I'm healthy, I am wealthy, I am rich. You know, if you say these things to yourself, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. The money tree guy where he's like, ching, 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 comes the money tree and everything that then money comes to me. I know the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So with the more that you say those things, though, the more true that they become, the more it's out there in the world and the more chance there is for it to come back to you. Gratitude is also hugely important in that, right? Like even when we're in a shit situation, even when we're in a job that we hate, to a certain extent, hating that job can be a really important piece to finding out what we don't want to do, which is just as important in the journey as finding out what we do want to do. So once we're out of the stress of that and can take a step back, we can say we're grateful for it. I'm grateful for the last corporate job that I had because that's what ultimately led me into running my own business. So gratitude is a huge piece of the manifestation practice. Be grateful for what's in the present. And I write down every morning, I have a manifestation journal. This is all part of my practice to set me up for a good day. And I deeply believe if you have a good morning, you'll have a good day. If you have a good Monday, you have a good week. So I'm very excited for the start of 2022 for a good first day of the year and then a good year ahead. But I write down three things that I'm grateful for in the present and then three things that I'm trying to call to myself. And when you manifest, you really have to write things in the present tense or in the past tense as if they already happened, as if these things that you want and wish for and dream of in the world are already yours. And that also retrains your brain to believe that they are already yours. So you will be more inclined to take the opportunities that will lead you there. I think that there's a big piece of putting energy out there, but it's a bigger piece of putting energy into ourselves and putting time into ourselves to identify what we want and what we need and to take the opportunities and to take the next steps to get us there. And that's where I think we can really create a life by design. You know, it's one thing to take a minute and visualize and imagine what would be the perfect opportunity for me? What would be the ideal situation? And people say, oh, well, don't think about the ideal situation. It doesn't exist, but I guarantee it does. You just have to find it. And the more that you align yourself with what you want, the more specific you are, the more you'll be able to identify it when it comes along. And you won't be lost in a sea of the jobs that you could apply for because you could do the job, but you know you wouldn't be happy. That's, I think, the trap that people fall into a lot. We're looking within a limited list of jobs that we could do, but it's not what we want. I think we've, at some point in time, we stopped asking ourselves what we want. And we have to get back to that. If we want to live a life by design, 
you have to know what you want. And it's okay to take time out to figure that out and to use what you find along the way that you know you don't want as a stepping stone to getting to what you do want and then putting all of the energy in that direction. That's how we become aligned in our, I think, personal and professional lives. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Like you had talked about before, it's a really exciting time now where we're, the ground is so fertile. Like we can do so much right now that it's almost over, like fucking overwhelming if we're honest. (laughs) It is. It definitely is. But good problem to have. So one of the things I like to do with all my episodes as I wrap them up is I like to ask my guests one final question. So if you could give advice to your younger self, right? Young Kaylin, what would that be? I have a few ideas, but ultimately I would say to young Kaylin that you are not too much. It is not a bad thing to show up as presently as you can in life every day. It is not worth making yourself smaller to fit into an opportunity. It's worth taking the time to find an opportunity that will support you and support what you're trying to do and who you are and the ways that you're trying to grow. Because we can't grow in a box that's too small for us. And I think I spent a lot of time throughout different roles in my career so far trying to grow in a box that was too small for me. And I don't want anyone else to have to do that. I don't think that those limiting beliefs are serving anyone anymore. And it's time to break out of them. And if I could have told myself that sooner, I would. Yeah, I love that. I thought the same thing recently. I've gotten that download of like, being bigger is actually better. There's no reason to squash who you are because it doesn't do anything to serve you. No, it doesn't. It will severely impact decision-making too, you know? If you're consistently trying to fit yourself into what you should do, the societal shoulds, you'll find yourself three opportunities later, years later, down the road, not having any idea of who you are or what you want or what you're doing. And I think that's where a lot of people are finding themselves right now in this moment, you know, especially people in our generation. We did what we were told. We went to college. We took out the loans. We went to school. And now we're on the other side. And it's like, even if we can find a job, it might not be what we want to do. It might not be related to what we studied at all. We might not have even liked what we studied. We just did it because we were told that's how we'll get a job and make money. So I think now we've been in the career long enough to see, you know, like, I don't know who set the mold of what we should have done or the way to do it right. But we're realizing that we are actually the individuals who get to decide the way that we do it right. And that's why this movement is so exciting right now, because we're finally making the decision to do what's right for us instead of doing what we were told, because we did what we were told all the way until in this point. And where are we? We're in jobs that we're not happy at. We're in hundreds and thousands of dollars of student loan debt. We're making our own way out now. It's such an exciting time. It really is. Like you said, the ground is fertile. The opportunities are endless. I have chills thinking about all of the things that we can do that are aligned with who we are and who we're meant to be. And we deserve to take time to discover that. It should be exciting. Yeah. Everything that you said tenfold, I completely agree with. So can you like let our listeners know like where they could find you, if they want to connect with you, if they want to get in touch regarding like resume help or career help or anything like that? Yes, absolutely. So while my business started as AOK Resumes, it's since expanded to AOK Resumes and Career Coaching. So I can do resume services, cover letters, navigate any sort of job application. We can also create job search strategies, exit strategies to maybe leave a job and figure out what's next. Career coaching, practice interviews, runs the gamut. So the best way I can be found is on Instagram at AOK Resumes. I'm also on TikTok as at AOK Resumes and LinkedIn as well. Those will be the best ways to contact me directly. My website also, AOKResumes.com, is where you'll find all of my services listed with rates and intake forms to get started. And people can also schedule a free consultation call. So if you really don't know what service will best fit your needs, if you're not sure what's going to serve you most, we can just hop on the phone and chat about it, see where you're at and see how I can meet you there. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. 
Yes, thanks for having me, Gabby. It's been a joy to get on here and speak with you and hopefully provide some insights um, to anybody who's in a similar situation, who wants to leave their job, wants to find another one, wants to go towards entrepreneurship, whatever it may be. The possibilities really are endless right now. Yeah, they are. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.